Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. What is up, Local City Church? You can be seated. So excited to be with you today. I have cried so many times in this service already. God is at work. God is at work in Tampa. And listen, I am from Minneapolis. We had 13 inches of snow uh, before I flew out to be here yesterday. So I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to hang out, happy to enjoy 85 degree weather. And uh, I just want to say I love your pastors. I love them so much, Pastor Ryan, Adrian. I had a chance to meet them years ago. And God has this crazy way of creating divine connections if we're looking for it. And I had this moment of connecting with a couple before they started the church. And uh, I'm just so excited to be a part of the journey of what God's doing at Local City. I'm so excited. Are you excited? Because God is doing a great work. The church is alive. I'm, I'm in here on behalf of my pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas. They help lead this organization called the Association of Related Churches. We help plant churches all around the world. And uh, I think th- this is uh, actually Ark Church plant number 858. And I think it's the best church plant that there is. I think it's the best church. And uh, besides Ark plant number 15, that's my church that I'm from. Uh, just an honor to be here today in the, in the time of taking communion together, in the time of, of, uh, of receiving uh, this, this moment of remembrance. I believe that, that, uh, that God is shaping and forming what he wants to do as he consecrates us in this moment. He wants to use us to change and transform a region for him. And God works through people. He works through flesh and blood to accomplish the good work that he has set out before us. And and today I want to encourage you with a word that I truly do believe it expresses the love of Christ, which is the love for his people. The love for those who are not in this room yet. As I sat here today, God gave me an image of this space and he gave me uh, an image of this region and uh, that these seats that are not filled represented people that were one invitation away from a breakthrough in their life. And today I just want to open up by, by sharing a story that I believe could actually maybe frame up, frame up the scripture and where I want to go today. Um, my pastors, I don't, you've never met them. I, I would someday, I'd love for them to be here. Uh, they're some of the most affirming people on the planet. And, and who, who enjoys an affirming pastor? You want your pastor to be nice to you and uh, my pastor, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, they co-lead our church. Pastor Carolyn is, is, is ultra-affirming, and she's that person, if you post about your birthday or an anniversary, she's always going to be sending a card or a nice comment to you. And there was this moment, there was this lady in our church, and she had, uh, she had had three babies in a short period of time, and uh, she put a picture on Facebook after she had lost all her baby weight after having these babies. She was just proud of her accomplishment, and she posted this photo, and Pastor accomplishment, and she posted this photo, and Pastor Carolyn, being the affirming pastor that she is, went on and commented, girl, you look stinking hot after that baby. And uh, that's a very affirming comment. Unfortunately, in this moment, she was logged into Pastor Peter's Facebook account. So all of a sudden, uh, next to this comment, girl, you look stinking hot, is the face of my pastor. 
saying, girl, you look, now everyone wants an affirming pastor, but how many of you want a pastor who's like, girl, you look stinking hot after that baby? And, and so unfortunately, it was one of those moments where uh, Facebook had updated their security settings, and, and for the life of her, she could not figure out how to delete this comment. And uh, so she's trying to figure out, she calls Pastor Peter and I at the church, Pastor Peter answers the call, and he's like, you did what? And uh, she's like, he's like, baby, do you know how many people follow me on Facebook? Like, this is a problem. Quickly, my reputation is going from Pastor Peter to Predatory Pete. We, we need to figure this out. And, and there was a, a very heated exchange in that moment over several kind of coarse words back and forth. Uh, we ended up slaying Predatory Pete. We deleted the comments. And now every Sunday as Pastor Peter sees that woman at church, he's very formal with her, asks her about her husband, God bless you, go in peace. I thought about that story and I wanted to ask you today, how many in this room have ever felt completely out of control? You know, for you, maybe it's not a crazy post. Maybe for you, it's your finances. Maybe for you, it's your physical body. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's shame in your life. Maybe it's a situation that you feel up against and you feel like there's no hope. Well, I actually believe something about today. I believe that God brought you here on purpose because I actually believe that God may be setting up a miracle for your life. I actually believe that, that it is not by accident that you are here. You, you may be here today and you feel like your whole year is already wasting away, but I actually believe that this can be your best year if it's your best year spiritually. Amen? Uh, actually, my, my story is pretty interesting. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, uh, my mom told me from age six weeks on, I was in church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I drove my youth pastor and all the staff nuts. I, I, I remember one night on a Sunday night service, my twin brother and I, we were crawling under the, the pews at our church, and my dad called us out from stage and said, you're going to get it later while leading people to Christ at the altar. <laughs> So I, I grew up in the church. I remember as a teenager, I would put my Bible next to me so no girl would ever get between me and Jesus. And uh, I grew up experiencing uh, all the things that church had to offer. I knew when to raise my hand. I knew when to sit down. I knew when to say amen. Yet through the experience of growing up in the church, I ended up experiencing what we call in the church world church hurt. Anybody know about church hurt? And uh, I experienced some mean things that happened from mean people. They, they just did some mean stuff to my parents. And as I became an adult and I, I, I left my, my, my parents' church, I went off to college, I, I, I kind of rejected the idea of church. I rejected the idea of this gathering together, of these, these hypocritical, cynical people that, that just judged each other and were mean. They, they, they thought meanness led to repentance. I've learned over the years that, that truly it's kindness that leads people to repentance. And, and so I walked away from the church, and at the same time I would be, was becoming very successful in my career. By age 25, I made my first million dollars. Uh, by age 26, I lost my first two million dollars. So I ended up in business. I ended up purchasing a business, and I had 17 cell phone stores across a region. I... I'm, I was doing about 17 to 20 million a year in revenue in my business. I was young. I was successful. All my, my family were our ministers, and they envied the lifestyle that I had. They envied the success of my life and the wealth that I had, my possessions, and the, the, the success that the world would tell me I, I had received. And 
But the truth was, in the middle of that success, I was an empty, empty person. I had a 10-year eating disorder that no one knew about. My, I, I, had, I had shameful sin cycles in my life that just kept repeating themselves. I, my marriage was barely in maintenance mode. We were kind of just co-managers of a home. And yet everyone kept reinforcing how, how successful I was, how promoted I was, that I had made it. And, and, and honestly, I was a workaholic. I was obsessed with the next opportunity. And uh, my life was completely miserable. Everything on paper said that you made it, but yet inside I was just so empty, I was so alone, I was so insecure, I was so afraid. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you've ever felt alone. I don't know if you've ever felt isolated, but it's a dark place. Yet in the middle of that mess, in the middle of what everyone thought was so great, yet was so defeating to me, there was a guy named Chad. And Chad showed up in my life. He was never impressed with my life. He was never impressed with my wealth. He just loved me. And that Chad, he's an amazing man. He invited me to church at a church meeting in a school very similar to this. And I said no so many times because I had so much anxiety coming into a church service. I, I was bitter towards the church. In fact, I pulled into the church parking lot three times and left and didn't go in because I just didn't want to do it. I remember that next Sunday, Chad invited me in. He said, hey man, I will buy you lunch if you come to church with me. And I'm like, I am all about free food. <laughs> I ended up going to church with Chad and uh, sat next to him. I sat eight rows back on this side of the auditorium. And I, I sat in that service and something shifted in my heart. And something began to change in me. And it was soon after the, that attending of that service, we were checking our kids in the kids ministry. And there was this 21-year-old this intern. She was about six months uh, free off drugs, and she began to intern at the church, but she always remembered my name, and she remembered my kids' names, and, and she said, hey, you made it to church. You made it. That's a big deal. Thank you for being here, and she always remembered us, and, and I remember the Sunday she invited me into serving kids, and what she doesn't know is the night before, I was screaming out to God, I will never do anything at that church unless someone invites me to do it. I showed up, and I just wanted to be included. I just wanted to be invited. I wanted to be accepted. And I showed up that Sunday, and she invited me to serve, and I'm like, oh, crud, why, kids? <laughs> that Sunday, I filled out a paper application, because I'm old, okay? And next Sunday, I began to serve in kids, began to serve in the toddler room, and God began to soften my heart and began to change me and transform me. It was soon after that, there was a guy... Uh, named Daniel, and he invited me to attend his basketball small group. Soon after that, attending the small group, I had met a guy named Bill, and he, he, in, he invited me to come on Monday night and get tacos with him, where all great things happen in life. And we began to meet together with a group of guys, and we began to pray together and have accountability together. And soon after that, a pastor invited me to come together on Wednesday mornings with a group of pastors and began to process life. And soon after that, there was a guy named Peter Haas, and he invited me to get lunch with him and process the call of God upon my life. And soon after that, there was a guy named Jeff, and Jeff invited me to lead a small group at the church. And I led a small group for men that had daughters, because I had a daughter that was young at that time, and I didn't know how to interact with her. I was good with my son, but my daughter, it was weird for me. Got a group of guys together, and I began to lead a group of guys at the church in accountability and connection and how to be a, a father, to be, uh, be aligned with our Heavenly Father. And get this, after just years of accountability and connection and 
and relationship. And I, I, I actually began to be completely transformed. And what I learned as I reflect back on that season, it was the, it was the desperate invitation of faith-filled people that saw my circumstance but did not judge me. And said, hey, I see more in you. I see purpose in you. I see destiny in you. I see future in you. Listen, they were not in my socioeconomic class. And the girl who invited me, she was a 21-year-old intern. She was just a girl that, that grew up really on the streets of Minneapolis. That She made an invitation that led to a transformation. And as I reflect back on my own calling, I reflect back on that. That invitation by that one girl led to a series of invitations that began to completely transform my life. In fact, one day I, I, I just decided I'm going all into this idea of ministry. I sold my business. I went all in. I became a poor pastor. And <laughs> it's kind of true. And I, I, I'm just so... I reverence to those people that invited me. Because here's what I've learned, church. I, I, I've, I've learned that, that, that this demonstration of my story illustrates a principle of transformation that I actually believe that a lot of Christians are actually lacking in their life. I think a lot of people think just merely attending a church service is somehow God's primary tool for transforming our lives. But the Bible teaches it's actually something more than that. We must have biblical fellowship. We must have intimacy in Christian relationships that will actually lead us to healing. Uh, as we study in Scripture today, I'm going to put this on the screen. We see in James 5.16, let me read this to you. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we see here in Scripture that, that our healing comes through and is the result of confession and prayer, not just to God, but to other people. And I just wonder how many people in church are lacking healing in their life because they lack horizontal confession of sin. For me, while in business, but not connected to the church, I was hoping that I could just listen to a sermon podcast, that somehow that would transform me, that I could just play a, a worship song in my car and cry ugly tears, because otherwise it was just too embarrassing to deal with my issues in front of people. I, 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 I thought that I could just uh, talk myself into transformation. But I learned over the years that those behaviors actually drove me into further isolation. Growing up, I was thinking maybe just another altar experience would do the trick. Uh, uh, but what I've learned over the years, and I, I've learned to trust this, what I really needed in my life was confession of sin. A true accountability with other righteous people to lead me into my wholeness. But, but here's the lesson that I've learned. I, I've learned that, that the, the key ingredient to humility is this. It is a willingness to experience humiliation. For me, I just wanted to believe that knowledge was my biggest problem. But think about it. It usually is not. Knowledge is not always our problem. Rather, it's accountability. It's realness. It's prayer. We need people who will look us in the eye and say, how are you really doing? Let me help you. There's more for your life. 
My breakthrough in my life came through surrendering my life to God's purpose and actually confessing my sins with someone else. And ever since then, I, I regularly want to share this principle that I've learned. I call it the humiliation principle. So, you know, takers, you want to check this out. Let me read this to you. The degree to which you're willing to humiliate yourself is the degree to which God's grace is dispensed in your lives. Or to maybe say it another way, you rise to the level of your own humiliation. And listen, church, God responds, I promise. It, it kind of reminds me of a story that we see in Scripture in, in Luke 5. We see this Scripture where Jesus is actually teaching at Peter's house in Capernaum. The crowds were so full, as the Scripture says, and the people were packing around just to hear the teachings of Jesus. And suddenly in that moment, men started digging through the roof to get their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. Can you imagine that right now? If someone just began to dig a hole in this roof, would that kind of freak you out for a minute? We see this story. They were so desperate to see their paralyzed friend healed that they invited him to get before Jesus and said, in fact, I will pick you up. I will carry you and I will lower you down to Jesus. And listen, in this moment, instead of Jesus rebuking those men for or tearing another man's house apart, destroying his property, Jesus actually responded to their faith and healed the paralyzed man. And I think as we reflect on Scripture, it's so powerful. We see the healing that took place for this man. But I think we could easily miss the greater point, which is the faith of friends of the paralyzed man. I mean, it takes a lot of guts to go rip through another man's roof to see your friend healed and made whole. How many of you in this room would do something illegal to get your friend before Jesus? A few of you up front. How many in this room would do something illegal just for fun today? Could, can I see your end? We will pray for you at the end. But I remember when I, I first heard this story, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. This is what church is all about. Do you have friends that would rip through a roof for you? And to be honest, when I think about what God intended his church to be, I, I think about a group of friends who would go crazy out of their way to see me healed and made whole. In fact, get this, research actually proves this. Check this out. The number one statistical predictor of spiritual growth is this. How many intimate Christian friends you have at any given moment in your life? More than services attended, more than Bible scriptures memorized, more than any other spiritual discipline. Intimate Christian community equals transformation. And once again, we see this in James 5, 16, when righteous people get together and have honest confession and prayer, it is what? It is powerful and effective. But get this, intimate Christian supportive friends, intimate just friends in general, doesn't help us just spiritually, but it helps us physically as well. Research actually shows that isolation is one of the quickest ways to shorten your life expectancy. For example, did you know that your odds of surviving cancer, heart disease, and stroke literally doubles based on how many intimate support, supportive friends you have in your life? Isn't that crazy? In fact, check this out. Medical research shows socially isolated people are four times more susceptible to the common cold than those with active social networks. Research has found that people with social, uh, strong social ties have a 400% immune advantage over isolated people. 
Church, I, I want to tell you, tell you this today. I want to encourage you with this. Isolation has serious risks. God did not design us to do life alone. He designed us for intimacy. We are meant to be in relationship with one another. And I just believe without connectivity with other people, healing and wholeness can always feel elusive for our lives. At some point, we will need to return to God's solution. We need the biblical prescription of healing. And this is it. It is the church. It is confession of sin. It is prayer with other righteous people. Amen? Amen. And listen, after the last few years that we have had in this world, we can naively hope that people are just going to somehow go back to normal. I guarantee you there are tens of millions of people who are going to stay stuck in isolation. There are actually millions of Christians who are going to say, you know what? I'm just going to watch church online. That's good enough for me. Assuming that just watching a sermon somehow fulfills James 5.16. And listen, I get it because for me, it, it wasn't until I had that invitation to come back to church, I actually had gotten to a situation in my life where I was so isolated because of cynicism in my own heart. And listen, I needed a friend to include me. I needed those desperate inviters to show up and help me uh, get out of that paralyzed state I was so stuck in. I needed friendship. I needed ownership. I needed intimacy. I needed to slip down the slippery creek bank of transformation that we see in James 5.16. In a similar way, all over this city, all over Tampa, Tampa the, listen church, people need an invite back to physical church. They need an invitation to be included in your story. There are friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members who need you to say, I believe there's more for your life. I believe there's more purpose for you. I believe there's more destiny for your marriage. The shame cycles that you're stuck in, you don't have to stay there. Listen, I, I just believe that even as we go into this week of Easter, that, that more than ever, people are going to be receptive to an invitation. I believe that an invitation could transform a whole marriage. It could change the legacy and destiny of a child. When marriages are redeemed and lost sons and daughters return home and when Christians begin to embrace a model of church where we will rip through the roof for other people. And as an illustration of this, I reflect on a story that I heard years ago. There was this Jamaican woman in a small township outside of the main city in Jamaica. She lived in poverty and she had two little kids. Her life was busy raising these toddlers and taking care of their needs. And all of a sudden, as watching her kids, she fell over in a paralyzed stroke. She laid there in her lifeless body with her toddlers crawling over her and the neighbor just came over to check on her and found her in this paralyzed position. There was no doctors in the community and no one knew what to do. And, and so they began to weep and cry as it looked like their friend's life was coming to an end. And they went and gathered other friends to come over and see her lifeless body. One person had an idea and this man said, hey, I heard about this preacher that's just on, the, uh, on several miles away at this village and he's preaching a healing service. What if we took Vita, was her name, to that service. 
yet it was over nine miles away and they had no form of transportation. And this one guy had an idea. He said, you know what? I have a wheelbarrow. What if we put Vita's body in that wheelbarrow and we'll roll her to the church service? And they began to put blankets in there and take her lifeless, comatose body and set it in the wheelbarrow and began the nine-mile trek down the dirt roads to take her lifeless body to this service. And they began to walk into the back of a tent that was meeting with people gathered in a worship service. And they had so much desperate faith and desire to see their friend healed and whole that they rolled her down the aisle right in front of the pastor. I couldn't imagine in this moment if someone did that. I don't even know what I would do. I'd say, Pastor Ryan, please come up here. And yet their desperate faith, stirring and believing that if someone could pray in agreement that something could happen. So the pastor looked down and he responded to the faith of these friends. He shouted, in the name of Jesus, open up your eyes and get up. And there was an awkward silence across the crowd. Everyone's just waiting to see what would happen in this moment. And trust me, I believe that would take a lot of faith. Nothing happened. And so the pastor just said it again. In the name of Jesus, open up your eyes and get up. And suddenly in that moment, she swallowed. Her eyes rolled forward. She stood up, looked around, and the whole place erupted in frenzy. Such a crazy story. And when I've heard this story about these friends, I, I thought in that moment, oh, to have friends like Vita McKenzie. A lot of people define success by their bank accounts or possessions. But for me today, I think about Christian fellowship. I think about a Grace and a Jordan and a Jeff and a Peter and a Bill and a Daniel who just included me in their life. I think about desperate inviters who said, you know what, I see more in that person. I think about the friends of that paralyzed man. And I want to ask you, church, today, do you have friends that would rip through, bring true joy, that bring true purpose? Church, I want to encourage you with this. God's plan is not for us to merely attend a church service. God wants us to be a part of a community that will see others through to wholeness. And that's what Local City Church is all about. We are a family, and we are meant to do life alone together. You are not meant to be isolated. You are not meant to be alone. And so I rebuke shame cycles in this room in Jesus' name. I rebuke secret addictions in this room in Jesus' name. I rebuke the separation in marriages in Jesus' name. I call lost sons and daughters home today in Jesus' name. Please hear this today. If we do not have enough intimacy and vulnerability to confess our sins, then we are missing the very foundation of biblical healing. As I finish up today, I wanted to just share one last story. I, I was, I, I throw a picture up here. I'm actually an identical twin. So there's someone out there that has the same genetic code as me. I pray he never does a crime. So that's us when we were seven years old. And we would, as a large Italian family, I'm Italian, we would go to this local mall and we would just go there on the weekends as a big family. And there was this, uh, this mall that was just a mile from our house and 
There was this thing that was all over the news in the 80s. You remember Stranger Danger? All these, I would hide from strangers all the time. There was this kidnapping that took place in this mall. And uh, I, I remember hearing about it in school and hearing about it uh, from my parents and being safe. And we just so happened that they found the deceased body of this, this 10-year-old kid that was kidnapped from this mall. After months had passed, we, we as a family would go there and we would do church events there. And there's this big uh, trade show happening. And so we're up at the mall on a Saturday and my parents were keeping us really close. There's, in the 80s, there's this thing where parents would put leashes on kids. I don't know if they do that anymore, uh, but my parents just disciplined us. And so we stayed close. And I, I remember being this large family in a busy mall and we're staying close to my mom. And, and all of a sudden my dad turns around and he begins to panic because of my twin brother is missing in this moment. And my dad runs in one direction to look for him and with my brothers and my mom, I'm being pulled along with my mom as my mom begins to panic because she knew something I didn't know. She knew that that lost son meant something more than I thought it meant. I thought he had just wandered off, but she was so afraid that, he, that her son was being kidnapped. So my mom began to run around the mall asking random mall uh, attendees, mall workers, like, help me find my lost son. He looks just like this one. And, and, and so we, I just remember being pulled around at seven years old looking for my twin brother. And uh, I remember my mom ran up to this one person and said, hey, help me find my lost son. And that man said to her, hey, ma'am, that is not my problem. My mom had such desperate faith, though, she would invite any single person to find him. And she found this 21-year-old mall worker with long blonde hair. Just imagine an 80s mall worker with long blonde hair. She goes up to him and said, would you help me find my lost son? And uh, this man, he picked up the desperation of that mother. He picked up the passion and the vigor of the lost son. He said, ma'am, I will find your lost son. And he began to run around the mall with my mom. And all of a sudden, this man, this 21-year-old mall worker begins to run across the food court at the mall. And he sees something that we can't see. He sees two men in construction outfits kidnapping my twin brother, carrying him out of the mall into the parking lot. And that 21-year-old man ran up to my, my twin, took him out of his men's arms and brought him back to his mom. I think about that moment. I think about what if my mom was not desperate to invite another person into the healing and rescuing and the, the, the redemption of my brother? What if my mom says, you know what? I have another one. It's okay. What if my mom just didn't see it as important? My mom didn't see it as, as, as necessary. What if that young man didn't pick up the burden? And I, I want to tell you, church, I, I think the enemy has tried to kidnap many of your purposes. He's tried to kidnap your destiny. He's tried to kidnap your value. He's tried to kidnap your identity. But I am a desperate inviter on mission today to invite you back in. God has more for your life. He has purpose for you. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose in your tomorrow. So I want to ask you today with every head bowed and every eye closed, what do you need to surrender today? For you, is it cynicism in your heart? Is it a commitment to isolation for you? Maybe you just need to start by receiving Jesus. Maybe for you today, it's getting a name and a face in your mind right now of a person that you need to include in your journey. 
who is waiting for you to help them get before Jesus? What step do we need to take? Because I, I promise you this church, every single person in this room needs to take a step today. Either it's a step out of isolation or to see someone else out of isolation. It's a step out of being paralyzed or a step to see someone else out of being paralyzed. Who has been kidnapped and who is God using you to rescue? And so in Jesus' name, I pray over local city church, God, that you would compel our hearts in this moment, that you would burden us for the lost. You would burden us for this city. You would burden us for the family and friends that are not here yet, that are coming soon. I thank you, God, that there is a church that's active and alive and on mission to reach people that are far from you. And so, God, we pick up the burden and we will be desperate inviters. We will see people who are lost, but see them as whole. We will see people in isolation. We'll see them as purposed. I prophesy over this church in Jesus' name. This will be a church that rises up. This will be a church that leads transformation. And this will be a church that will change and transform the region for Jesus Christ. This is your day. Today is your day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.